Well, living as we do in this southern Bible belt, the question that's being asked in this scripture text that I'll read for us in a moment has to do with exactly what we were talking about before the service began, and that is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? How well do we know this man that is supposed to be the center of our weekly worship services in this church? As I've read about the history of the Christian church in America, it seems that over these recent several decades, with the migration of more and more people from, uh, from other countries, especially those coming from the Middle East and the Arab nations, it's very evident that they have brought their own religious beliefs and customs with them. And with this political agenda that we currently have in place, our government is very protective of those newly arrived religious beliefs. And because of that, the answer to this question about who Jesus is is becoming more and more obscure to the average American citizen. Slowly but surely, there is more coming to be known about the Muslims, about the Buddhists, and about the Hindus and their religion than we've ever known before. They teach it in the colleges. They are teaching it in many of the high schools as long as they don't teach Christianity. For some people, perhaps even more is known about those other religious leaders than is known about Jesus. And I'd like to go a step further and make a bold statement that the same is true even for many of the people who have grown up in traditional church settings, spending many hours in youth groups and Sunday school classes. It seems that many, many of the people who call themselves Christian know surprisingly a little about the person that they call God, the person that they go to worship each week. Here in the scripture that we've been reading in the book of Luke, we find that in those days that Jesus was walking among us, many people, and especially those there in the nation of Israel, were asking this question, who is this man, Jesus? Who is Jesus? And you might recall in a message just recently, King Herod was asking that same question. Listen to these words. King Herod, the Tetrarch, heard all about what was happening concerning Jesus. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John the Baptist had raised from the dead. And you recall he had had John beheaded. And then others would say to him, Elijah has appeared. And others that some of the old prophets had arisen. And now here in the passage that we'll study today, Jesus asked his disciples this same question. And it's a question, listen, it's a question that you and I will also need to answer. Listen and follow along as I read these words given to us in Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 18. And it happened as he, the Lord Jesus, was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them saying, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered and said, some say John the Baptist, but others say Elijah. 
And others say that one of the old prophets has arisen. You'll notice that's very similar to what some people were saying to King Herod. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And then he, Jesus, strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and then be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, the same conversation that I just read about here is over in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, is given this way. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Barjona means son of. So blessed are you, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, has revealed it to you. Folks, the question that's being asked within these few words is unquestionably the most important question that any man or any woman could ever be confronted with in all the days of their existence on this earth. That's a strong statement, but I want to say it again. This question that's being asked here is unquestionably the most important question that any of us will ever be confronted with in all of our days on this earth. And let me assure each of us that there will, without exception, come a moment in time when each of us will be confronted with this question in one way or another, personally and individually. And woe be unto us if we do not have, if we do not own the one answer that the Lord Jesus requires of us that question again who do you say that i am and i need for you to think about that for yourself what is your answer to that question who do you say that jesus is would you perhaps answer as so many in our day and i've heard this recently so many of our day say about jesus they like to say two things about jesus that he was a good teacher And that he came to show a good example for us to follow. I can recall that as a young man, very new in my Christian faith, I was still trying to find out what my Christianity was supposed to be like. And so I asked this friend, a young friend that I believe to be a lifelong Christian, and he stammered for a moment, didn't seem to have an answer that he could give. And then he said those very words. He said, Jesus was a good teacher and he gave us a good example to follow. Now, while I agreed with that young man that Jesus was those things, I really knew in my heart, even as a brand new Christian, that Jesus was much, much more than that. I've also noticed that over these many years that many people, especially those in the public eye, politicians and media star, they'll often stammer when they're asked about their relationship with God. And seemingly, with no quick answer coming to their mind, they respond 
even more vaguely, they say, I prefer to keep my relationship with God private. Folks, may I say with great emphasis that God forbid your or my answer would be like those. And why would that be? It's because the answer that a person, you or me, is able to give to this one question will truly determine how and where we will spend all the remaining days of our eternity. Thankfully, the answer, the acceptable answer, is never far from us. And God told us that back in the Old Testament. He said, I'm not going to make this too difficult for you. I'll give you a way to find out the answer. In Deuteronomy 30, he said, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not up in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven and bring down the answer to us? And neither is it beyond the sea that you would have to say, Who will go over there and bring us back the answer? Do I have to go on a pilgrimage? I added that part, but that's people go on pilgrimages. And the Lord is saying, No. That's not necessary. He's saying here, but the word is very near you. It is actually in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. It's never far from us. Folks, God is so generous to each of us in that his perfect answer to this all-important question, but who do you say that I am? It's right here within our grasp. If we will only reach for it and especially reach for it in the right way. Why then, if it is so up close and near to us, do men and women still struggle? Why don't they go ahead and reach for that right answer and grab hold of it and own it for their own? It's because first, while Christ and His Word, His truth is truly not far from us, the separation that still remains between Him and all the other answers that this secular world has to offer. Still, there's still a difficult gap to pass through. And the way the Lord Jesus describes it, He says it's a very narrow way, and a very narrow gate entering into that pathway to who He is. And folks, we had best not be confused. The narrowness of that gate and the narrowness of that narrow way is by God's own design. He has designed it that way. Righteousness, by its very nature, is not an easy path to walk. We know that. And then added to that, each of us comes into this life already severely corrupt from birth, having this sinful nature that tends towards and even desires the things that are located over in that broader path, that path that leads to destruction. Luke chapter 13 tells us about that. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by that broader gate. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are very few who find it. A question that many will ask, but why does God make it so difficult to be righteous? And the answer is, He doesn't. He doesn't make it difficult for us to be righteous. It's our own sinful nature that makes it difficult. Sin and our sin nature are continually at war against the things, the ways, the paths of the Spirit of Christ. Read through the book of Romans and especially these words are in Romans chapter 8. 
Our nature is at war in constant conflict with the righteousness of Christ. We don't have to work hard at all to be sinful. And you and I know that. It comes to us so very naturally. But not so the ways of righteousness that he desires us to follow. Righteousness is and always will be a difficult and a very narrow path. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this when he was going through this daily battle with his own sinfulness. He cries out in Romans chapter 7, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have this desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And then the Apostle Paul concludes this cry for mercy by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Folks, I know personally just how the Apostle Paul felt as he was saying this. And I believe that you probably have experienced this also. I personally have often cried out in this same way, pleading with God to help me to get from where I am to where I know that I need to be. I've shared with you that as I ride my lawnmower cutting my grass, you don't have to think too much about what you're doing. You just follow the path. And so I think about things like this and how many times I've cried out to the Lord these very words. Oh, Lord, how do I get from where I am in my sinfulness to where you want me to be? How do I? How does anyone bridge that difficult gap of sin's control? Because sin does have control. It shouldn't have for us as believers, but we allow sin to do that. And that's what the Apostle Paul was so lamenting about here and crying out about. But he's saying to us, the reason that you can't is because you don't have the strength within yourself. And you keep trying to do it through your own strength. And folks, listen, it's only as the Apostle Paul concluded in these words of Romans chapter 7 that this can take place. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives the answer. He said, thanks be to God. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the answer. These words reveal to us not only how we can be delivered out of our bondage to sin, but also exactly who it is who can deliver us. It's Christ, and it's Christ alone, the Son of the living God, the one that this question is being asked about. It's our only means of getting from where we are to where we need to be. And in this book of Matthew here where Jesus is asking this question to his disciples, but who do you say I am? Jesus included a very important addendum that sheds light on this salvation that Jesus offers. Listen to these words again. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. He, this is the Lord Jesus, asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah and the prophets. But then he said, but who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then listen to these words that Jesus said. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Note those ending words. This is the only pathway, folks. He says to Simon, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but it was my Father who was in heaven. And that's the answer. That's the answer of how we get from where we are to where we need to be. Only the Spirit of God can discern the deep things of God and know what God wants for us to do. No man or woman can do that through our intellectual reasoning. As Jesus said here to Simon Peter, such things can only be revealed to you by God the Father through His Spirit. I have read these next verses for us on many occasions, and I love them, but they tell us exactly that. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, God has revealed His truths to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man who is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The moment that you and I gave our heart over to Christ, He gave us His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit brought this with Him into our being, into our understanding. And so then, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, Peter here is able to respond with these words, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, may I say this again? The only way that Peter was able to know this blessed truth was because it was revealed to him by God's Spirit. Now, why do I want to repeat that? It's because so often we want to explain to people why they ought to be good people. And they turn around and they do something else wrong. And we say, well, why did you do that? You knew better. The only way they can know better is by the unction of the Holy Spirit within them. And if they are not believers, they can't truly know the truth. But again, the question before us today is why would this one question of Jesus, but who do you say that I am, be so demandingly important for you and me? First of all, it's because of the words that are being confessed. And that is, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we have to realize also that Jesus is the only person who can get us from where we are to where we need to be. Peter's confession here was saying, I know that you are much more than just a good teacher and a good example. You're even better than John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah and all the prophets. He was saying, you are the son of the living God. And that's who Jesus is. He is the very person of God who came to earth as the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one who was sent from God the Father to be that spotless lamb who would sacrifice himself and be an acceptable payment, propitiation to cleanse us from our sin. None of those other men could do that. And you and I have to understand that no one else can ever do that. Only the one that Peter is describing here, the Christ of God, can satisfy the eternal debt of sin. 
And then, on beyond that, no other person can satisfy the desires of God for relationship. Just as it was in the beginning, there in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, He created them for a kinship, a kinship of a son and a daughter. For us, He wants us to be His children and to follow along in His pathway as His children. Folks, listen. There is no casual acquaintance in the family of God. You and I have to realize that. We can't come to church and just be part of the fellowship. We need to be part of the family of God. He desires people who are willing to love Him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He desires loving intimacy as He would have with a son or a daughter. And His beloved Son, Christ, would provide that opportunity by his work on the cross Jesus would accomplish all that it would take he would birth into existence sons and daughters of God listen to what how he tells us that in Romans chapter 8 he says for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are sons of God the moment that you accept Christ as your savior this takes place for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are sons of God For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You became a whole new person. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's real relationship, folks. Real relationship. We cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God desires to have an intimate relationship. One that is like a father with a son and a daughter. But to be able to enter into that kind of relationship with Him, you and I must enter through the only doorway that's available to us, and that's through the Christ of God, the Good Shepherd. And we must not only be willing to enter in, but He tells us you've got to walk that narrow path every day of your life. Only Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other name, as we're told here in Scriptures, there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved. And that is the name, the Lord Jesus, the Christ of God. And listen, even further, you and I must be willing to do as Simon Peter did here. And that's to openly and publicly confess who Jesus really is. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me stop here for a moment and ask you. If someone walked up to you and asked you about this man, Jesus, would you stammer for a moment? Or would you say as Peter did, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. That's very important for us, folks. Unless we know what we are to say, we're not going to be able to communicate to that next person who's asking. As I did back there so many years ago with that young man. He couldn't tell me who Jesus was. Unfortunately, I don't believe that he knew himself. But why must we be able to openly confess Christ as being the Christ, the Son of the living God? Listen to these words carefully. This is Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, this is what Peter was doing. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And listen, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Why do you imagine Billy Graham said in every sermon I ever heard, 
him preach. He would say to those people who came down to give their hearts to Christ, he'd say, now, go and tell somebody else. But also, too, he would say, the reason you are coming publicly is you're doing this. You are confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And that completes this process of salvation. I want us to hear those words, folks. Those words are not only true, they are confrontational and they are demanding. They're confrontational because we really do need to be able to answer that question very clearly and very loudly. Not only for the person who's listening, yes, for them, but for our own soul. That's what he's saying here. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You and I have to not just repeat something that we've heard someone else say. We have to own Christ and who He is for our personal self. If we're not willing to do that, if we stammer and we are reluctant to confess Him publicly, as Simon Peter did here, listen to these words. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But listen, verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. All those ones that say, I keep my religion private. This is what the Lord Jesus has to say to them. Please do not be that way. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Yes, but I don't, I stammer with my words. Moses said that, by the way. So did Jeremiah. The Lord has said, no, I will give you words if you're willing to do this. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Folks, you and I got to be ready to confess Christ on a moment's notice. And if we have to practice what we're going to say, the Lord Jesus has so many good ways of saying it. And these are some of those best ways. And I want to encourage you to do that. And so I'd ask you personally then, do you only know Jesus casually? Or do you know him personally and intimately as Savior and Lord? Are you willing to confess Him openly and publicly, without shame or discomfort even? Don't worry about how you stammer in your words. Say the words. The Holy Spirit will take care of the difference. So I plead with each of us to believe in the Lord Jesus with all of our heart and confess Him with our mouth so that our salvation will be full and complete. Let me read these words and we'll close. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, your words truly are confrontational and they are demanding. Help us to answer this question rightly. At every opportunity, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.